Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We are still in Colossians chapter 1. We are going to focus today on Colossians 1, 21 through 23, but I'm going to go back to uh, Colossians 1, 15 and read from there to get us a, a sense of the context and also uh, the relationship between the, the passage that we looked at last time we gathered and this particular passage today. So read with me beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And this is speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, for in heaven and on earth visible, or for all things were, for, let me start all over here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firmed, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for this word. We thank you that you have spoken to us through this word, and we do beg you today to help us hear what you have said to us. Help us to understand so that through understanding we may believe, that through belief we may be changed to follow you in faithfulness and obedience. Not so that we can earn salvation from you, we cannot earn salvation from you, but help us to follow you in faithfulness and obedience so that we may honor you, so that we may glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last time we gathered together, we did consider verses 15 through 20 of Colossians chapter 1. And we were reminded in that of the grandness, the glory, the beauty, the majesty of who Jesus is as Lord of creation. Paul tells us there that nothing that exists on this earth exists apart from the work of Jesus it, it remains in existence because of the continuing work of Jesus. And it is there to give glory to Jesus. Nothing exists except for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he reminded us that Jesus is the head of the church. Everything that we do as the church is totally and completely dependent upon Jesus. You cannot separate the head without the body dying. You cannot separate the church from Jesus without the church dying. We see so many churches around us in this world today that are dwindling because they have forgotten who the head of the church is. They have forgotten where their glory lies. 
And in reminding us that Jesus is Lord of creation, in reminding us that Jesus is Lord of salvation, Paul takes us to the heights of his glory, the heights of his majesty, the heights of his rule. And he shows us this glorious Savior in which the fullness of God dwells. And sometimes we get stuck up there. We get stuck in the glory. We get stuck in the majesty. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to be reminded about who our Savior is, that he is God and man together in which the fullness of God dwells. But Paul doesn't leave us there up in the heights of the majesty. He brings that majestic and glorious Savior right down to us. And he shows us in today's passage, verses 21 through 23, how Jesus meets our past, how Jesus meets our present, and how Jesus meets our future. So how does Jesus deal with our past? After considering the glory and majesty of Jesus, Paul looks at us. And he says, he describes the condition of the Colossians and ultimately our condition as well before Jesus. And he uses three, three phrases. He says, once you were alienated from God, Adam and Eve were created to be in fellowship with God. We're told in the first three chapters of Genesis that they walked with God in the morning and in the evening. They conversed with God. They were in fellowship with God. But then they decided to take matters into their own hands. God had said, you may remain in fellowship with me as long as you don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were tempted to take matters into their own hands, and they did. They ate that fruit, and at that moment, that relationship, that fellowship with God was broken. And they were alienated from God. They said, we must hide from God because we are naked and now ashamed of who we are in His presence. They were alienated. That fellowship was ripped. It was torn. And you and I suffer that same problem. We seek daily our own glorification. The, the, the first question of the catechism says, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of humanity? And the answer is that we are here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But each and every one of us seeks our own glory and our own self-gratification. And that causes us to be alienated, to be separated from God. And that alienation leads to another problem. It leads to a hostility. It leads to an enmity, a hatred of God. Our thoughts, our our thoughts, everything that we think in our mind is totally antithetical. It is totally against. It is totally driven by our hatred, our alienation from God. So we think about what we want instead of what he wants. We think about what our desires are instead of his desires. And when we realize where those two things rub up against each other's and our desires disagree, our wants disagree with God's wants and desires, we are hostile to him. We are enemies of God. We are at war with God in our very thoughts. And Paul says this alienation, this hostility leads to deeds that are evil. Think of the Ten Commandments. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship any graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Honor the Sabbath day. Honor your parents. No murder, no adultery, no lying, no coveting. Our acts outside of Jesus are a constant violation of those Ten Commandments. Now, you might look at me and say, hey, you know what, Ike, I've never murdered anybody. I, I, I don't cheat on my wife. I, I'm good to go. I don't I don't I don't hate God. I don't do evil deeds. Ray Comfort in his in his gospel presentation takes these Ten Commandments and he and he looks at people, young people on college campuses who say, you know, what? I'm a good person. Why are you telling me that I'm and I'm at war with God, that I do evil deeds? And he says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And they're like, I'm a pretty honest person. He said, have you ever told a little white lie? A little fib? Just a harmless little untruth, maybe even half truth. And almost everybody says, well, yeah, doesn't everybody? And then he takes them to the book of James. Where James says, if you have broken the least of the law, you've broken all of them. We... As human beings, apart from Jesus Christ, are alienated from God. We are hostile to him and we do evil deeds. That's why we need a savior. The combination of our alienation, our hostility, our evil deeds earns for us one thing, and that is the judgment of God. God told Adam and Eve, you will surely die if you break my law. The first part of that death was that alienation from God. The second part of that judgment is the possibility of eternity in hell. In Romans 6.23, Paul reminds us that the wages of sin is death. That death is an eternity in hell. It's not just a physical death. It's that eternity sent. It's that eternity spent still in the presence of God, but under his wrath and judgment instead of his grace. And the gospel meets that. Jesus meets that very past that each and every one of us has. He lived a life of perfection. He lived a life of keeping God's law, as the author of Hebrews says, being tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we are told that he became sin for us. The one that knew no sin became sin for us so that our past that past of alienation, that past of hostility, that past of evil deeds might be covered with the righteousness of Jesus. The one who is Lord of all creation, the one who is Lord of salvation has taken each and every one of us who call him by name, who call him savior, who have been changed by the Holy Spirit and brought to a place of faith. He has taken each and every one of us and covered that alienation that hostility and those evil deeds with his righteousness so that we might have judgment pass over us and we might spend eternity with Jesus. That is where the one, the Lord of all salvation, meets our past. He meets it with the cross. He meets it with his physical death, his resurrection and his ascension. We oftentimes have a tendency to think that our past is unforgivable. I sat with a man a few, uh, a couple weeks ago and was talking to him about church, about the gospel. 
more than church about the gospel. And he says, you know what? I understand all that. But there's just some things that God can't forgive and I've done them. He does not understand that there is nothing so evil that we can do that we are permanently disqualified from the gospel. He did understand that there is stuff so little that we can do that we are under God's judgment. But he didn't understand that God can forgive anything because in the physical death of Jesus. Our sins have been paid for. Our record has been wiped clean. Our past has been dealt with and we are declared righteous in the sight of God. But the gospel, but Jesus does not simply deal with our past. He deals with our present as well. In this verse, there's language present an accusation as we read through this particular passage. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is courtroom language there. And we're going to go to the, the future just a little bit to talk about our present. There will come a time when Jesus returns where we will all stand before God. And the great accuser of this world, the Satan, will stand there with us and he will go, God, let me tell you about Ike. Ike has problems with lust. Ike has problems with anger. Ike has problems with worry and anxiety and pettiness and idolatry and all of these things. He will list my sins out before God. He will accuse me. And then Jesus will say, hold on. There is no accusation for Ike because he is covered by my righteousness. And for each and every one of us who have embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Satan, the accuser will stand there and do the same for you. And so will Jesus. He will say, none of them deserve your judgment because I have taken it and they are righteous in your sight. And that informs our future. Right now, Paul says there is now, therefore, no condemnation, not just in the future, but right now there is no condemnation for those who call Jesus Lord. We talk about our struggle with the pursuit of holiness. We talk about our struggle with sanctification. And believe me, brothers and sisters, sanctification is tough. Think about a friend of yours that may be struggling with that third commandment. You shall not take the name of your Lord, the Lord, thy God in vain. And she has determined, she has decided that this is the day I repent of taking the Lord's name in vain. And I will seek to move forward in honoring and glorifying him with everything I do, with everything I say. And 30 seconds later, she's on her way to work. Some guy cuts her off. She violates the idol commandment by idolizing her own importance over the importance of that guy. She violates the third commandment by letting, letting fly a string of words that would make a sailor blush. She violates the commandment to not murder because she wishes in her mind that this person who cut her off would be erased from the face of this earth. As a child of God, does she need to worry about her salvation in that moment? No. That justification, that declaration of righteousness is hers 
right now. There is now therefore no condemnation. And because she has been declared righteous by her Lord and Savior, because she is covered in his perfect record, she can stop for a moment. She can say, Lord, I repent of this again. And I'm probably going to have to repent of it again and again and again. But I know that I am righteous in your sight, and that gives me the strength to move forward in my pursuit of holiness. What do you struggle with in your sanctification? What have you struggled with over and over and over again? And sometimes you just go, I am so tired, Lord, of repenting and confessing this sin to you. Know in that moment that God sees you as his righteous child. Know in that moment, in that present struggle with sin, that you are His. You are forgiven. And you are strengthened by the Holy Spirit to walk forward in your pursuit of holiness. Jesus deals with our past. Jesus transforms our present. And Jesus is sufficient for our future. The ending of this particular passage ties back in with the middle of the previous passage. Where God taught, where Paul talks about God reconciling all things to himself. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every or, or, or maybe even all kinds of creatures under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. God, through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, is reconciling all of creation to himself. Not just not just a handful of people, not just a remnant of people who 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 believe him. He is reconciling all of creation. We're we're not headed to some ethereal cloud where we just kind of float around and play a harp for all of for all of eternity. We will be here on the new heavens and the new earth as God reconciles all of those things to himself. That is the future that we wait for. That is the hope that we have. And yet in that hope, we are called to pursue our holiness. If you continue in your faith established and firm, one of the, one of the, the, the five points of Calvinism, which is the five points of Calvinism is a summary of salvation theology. It's not all of what we believe. It's not all of reformed theology. It's just a, a summary of salvation theology. But the last one is the perseverance of the saints. We have a tendency sometimes to look at that as a once saved, always saved. God will never let us go. And that's true. But God's not the only one that has to persevere in our salvation, in our sanctification. We are called to persevere as well. Paul says it later on in the book of Philippians. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We are called to be faithful to God. Why? Well, number one, because he's commanded it. But number two, because we have that hope of that glorious future. If we persevere. Sometimes people fall away. And I believe scripture teaches that when they fall away, as John says in, in, in his first letter, first John, he says they left us because they were never really part of us. How, do, how can we be assured that we are the people of God? We continue in hope, in steadfast Pursuit of that holiness, that goal of being holy as God is holy. Yes, it is a goal we will only receive in his presence 
whether we get there before Christ returns or whether we get there when Christ returns. But that is the future that the gospel gives us. That answering of our past, that speaking into our present propels us to a future glory of holiness that we will have in his presence. The glorious Lord of creation, the glorious Lord of salvation meets each and every one of us by covering our sinful past with his righteousness. By speaking that righteousness into our presence and by uniting us with the glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. If you don't understand this message, if it's something you've never embraced, please talk to me after the service. But if you are walking with God today and struggling with something that you know to be a sin, God meets you in that. He doesn't leave you alone. One of the ways God meets you in that is he places you in a community of believers. He places you in this family. We read in our call to worship that that God takes the fatherless and places them in families. This is that family. We do not struggle alone. We struggle together. Know that if you struggle with a sin. That you are covered by Christ's righteousness and nothing can change that. And know as well that that fact gives you the power to walk forward hand in hand with your brothers and sisters in Christ. As you struggle toward holiness, because we're all struggling in that direction together. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, the glorious Savior, Jesus, met us in our alienation, our hostility, and our evil deeds with his righteousness. Thank you for that. Drive that home to us in a very real way. Remind us that in our present struggle with sin, that righteousness is the foundation of our pursuit of holiness. It is the the foundation by which we know we are yours. It is the foundation by which we have the strength to pursue the holiness you have called us to. And remind us of that glorious future hope. That we have because of your son. And Lord, forgive me for those times when people have cried out to me asking for help. And I've dropped the ball. Help us all to walk alongside with each other. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.